Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and today we have a very special edition of our 10 Questions Podcast, taking a quick break from the Week 14 chaos, take a more macro view on the league, look ahead to fantasy playoffs, look ahead to some dynasty stuff, and I have a very special guest to accomplish those goals. He is the boss man of Roto Underworld and Player Profiler. You can hear him all over the Player Profiler Fantasy Football Podcast Network, along with the rest of their awesome crew, the podfather himself, Matt Kelly. You know him on Twitter at Fantasy Mansion. Matt, your second time on the show. Welcome back, man. Good to have you. In the flesh, man. In the flesh. You, you pinch me, I hurt, man. You cut me, I bleed. <laughs> this is the flesh. I'm here. I love it, man. In season grind, you know, it's not, not often we can go out and get on these other pods, but I appreciate you making the time and you're a busy man. Let's get right into it. Yeah, so I got the uh, I got the bicep wristbands on, man. Ooh. I'm ready. <laughs> I love it. All right, so I want to look ahead to the fantasy playoffs. It's on everyone's mind, weeks 15 through 17. We were talking before the show. Ho- hopefully none of you out there have your playoffs starting this week with that Jonathan Taylor buy. If you did, that sucks. You know, join a smarter league next time. But Matt, focusing on the normal fantasy playoffs. If the 2021 season were to start today and last until week 17, who would be your top QB, running back, wide receiver, tight end that you would want ahead of the playoffs? I mean, does, we love Kyler Murray, right? I mean, I think, is, I think is there Kyler. anything that you, I mean, Kyler Murray, okay, six, what, 15 pass attempts last week. He, he must have done it out. No, only 15, pa- they didn't need him, right? Only 15 pass attempts. He must have done it out, right? Isn't that, isn't that right? I, I, I would think, it, right? Only 15. He only had 15 pass attempts. Like, they didn't even need to throw, right? So he must have done it out, right? Except oh, he didn't, right? QB Except he didn't. Overall, QB won. The guy rushed for two touchdowns. See, this is the beauty of it. This is this is why, as good as Tom Brady's been, he's run as pure as he's run in his career in the regular season. Because you know, Randy Moss, okay, right? Yes, he had an even better season with Randy Moss, but I mean, this this is on that level, right? Fifty touchdowns, five thousand yards. That's the, the that, that's what we're talking about. That's the level of Tom Brady's season we're getting here at age forty four. It's amazing, but and yet. I'd still rather have Kyler Murray because I want to know that I have outs. If, if it's a low scoring game for whatever reason, or there's a lot of positive game scripts and the, the quarterback doesn't need to do much in the second half, Kyler's going to find a way to get involved and to get the ball uh, in the end zone with his feet or his arm. And he hasn't had DeAndre Hopkins for a number of weeks. And he hasn't been healthy. But now when he's healthy, DeAndre Hopkins just happens to be healthy and they have their weapons back and they're going to get Chase Edmonds back this week. Even though the weapons are great in Tampa, I think I would prefer Murray. I think it's between Murray and, and, and Brady, but on any given week, the upside you get from a rushing quarterback is just that much higher. So the weekly spike week upside from Kyler Murray would be the tiebreaker. Weeks 15 through 17, Cardinals got the Rams, the Lions, and the Colts. Like, okay, the Rams and Colts, those aren't ideal matchups. It's not like it's the worst defenses in the league. But if you look at the first eight weeks for Kyler, he was still putting up real good production, to your point. He always can, even in the worst game scripts. But, like, it yeah. might it might actually be better to face Stafford Wentz, these offenses that can actually push the Cardinals to throw the ball a little bit more than they've had to all year. So Well, we that's get... a very important point. That's yes. a very important point. We did a whole analytical study of start-sit decisions for quarterbacks this summer. And one of the least appreciated aspects of start-sit decisions and just weekly projections is the opposing quarterback. 
So this is something we look at more this year than we have in previous years. And I do a start sit show streaming on Sunday mornings. And that's the thing I zero in on. I'm like, who is the opposing quarterback? Like that should be one of the first questions. I want to rewire the dynasty <laughs> gamers brain to worry as much about the opposing quarterback as anything else, because that's what drives upside. It was like last week, Matthew Stafford looked like a smash spot and he didn't even get to 300 yards. Why? Because there wasn't a world that you could envision Trevor Lawrence having a good game against the Rams defense. It's just not possible. The way that Stafford hits his ceiling is if he has a Kyler Murray opposite him that can push the game into true shootout territory. So I don't care when, when it comes to the elite quarterbacks. I don't care as much about the defense. Oh, they have a great front seven. Okay. So that means <laughs> Kyler Murray might run more. All right. Uh, the Colts, they have a, they have a good secondary. They, they, they run that zone shell. Okay. Well, he might check it down a little bit more, maybe more uh, plays drawn up to, to Rondale more the, the best offenses with the best quarterbacks. They're going to beat the best defenses. Know that. And going and knowing that then you can zero in on the potential game environment and you're damn right. I want Cardinals Rams. That's a game environment. I am very excited to play everybody in. And for those of you that weren't able to watch Cardinals bears, Kyler got the two rushing touchdowns and he looked as fast as ever. Like that ankle is good to go. They gave him a month off with that buy good stuff. And he is now healthy when we want him ahead of the fantasy playoffs. Now, how about this running back situation? Now, if you just want to say Jonathan Taylor, because he's Jonathan Taylor, I get it. But I think maybe just maybe, Matt, depending on how this concussion protocol thing goes, Elijah Mitchell might have something to say about that. You look at his schedule, Falcons, Titans, Texans. For months, I was looking at this end of the season schedule thinking that it'd be the time for Trey Lance to, you know, go win us these championships. I'm okay settling with Elijah Mitchell, though. I can't believe this world we're in. I just, I, I can't believe this world we're in where Elijah Mitchell is a top five running back in fantasy the rest of the way. And he was a sixth round pick. He was not on anyone's radar this summer. And yet, what does he have? What does he have? And it's the thing that we like about, about speed, Kyle Shanahan. Speed, baby. He's got right? that speed. Kyle Shanahan is one of these megalomaniac coaches. You wouldn't want to play for this guy, right? No one wants to. No. I don't want to play for him. Most people don't want to play for him. He's also a meddler. He's a front office meddler. So he's not a player's coach. He's a front office meddler. He makes everybody miserable from John Lynch to Brandon Ayuk, Kyler, or not Kyle, Kyle Shanahan makes people around him miserable. And I would want him as my coach, but there's one thing about him that I love that I appreciate. And then this is a big thing because he was a true innovator in this area, which was, he said, fuck your 220 pound bell cow running back standard. That's a total fallacy that a running back needs to be 210 pounds to have any kind of production profile in the league. In fact, I'm going to go as far as taking a special teamer from Purdue and I'm going to make him our starter and he'll be just as productive for a six week period of time, any six week period of time when he's healthy. And then you might say, well, you're, you're, yeah, you, 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 you ruined him. He's too small. Right. And then my, my response to that is if Kyle Shanahan brings Raheem Mostert into his office and so say, hey, hey, uh, you're explosive. And actually, the way to 
if you're going to run the ball, running the ball is a, a, a net negative for the offense in most situations. If you do have to do something that's a net negative for the offense, you might as well give yourself the ripcord of it could be a big play, yeah. right? We could rip off a long run. At least give yourself that chance. When you give the ball to some plotter, you have no opportunity. Mark Ingram's never going to break a long run. Okay, it's not going to happen. So every carry for Mark Ingram, to me, is a wasted opportunity. At least if you're going to give a running back the ball in the backfield, give him some explosiveness and a chance to actually make a difference on the scoreboard. And if you're going to have that conversation with Raheem Mostert, say, hey, I'd like to give you the ball a lot more. Technically, you're small. You're 195 pounds. And you know all the analytics around injuries suggest that if you are, you know, sub 210 pounds, you're not going to hold up for a full season. And now we have this whole example of Christian McCaffrey getting 400 touches in a season and never being the same. What do you think? Raheem Mostert's going to say, well, I'm a football player and I want the ball as much as possible. I don't want to be driven into the ground. 90% opportunity share is probably not a good idea, but yeah, I want to be the starter. I want the football. Give me the football. That's what he's going to say. And that should be the standard. Every NFL team should be trying to find the next Raheem Mostert and be trying to craft the next Austin Eckler. Like that should be the archetype of running back in the league. Yeah. And that, yeah, there might be a rare guy like Jonathan Taylor, who's also 225 pounds, but the starting point should be athleticism. And if you're big, that's a bonus where it's reversed and it's maddening. And it's the one thing that Kyle Shanahan's getting right is that he's completely changed that paradigm, and I appreciate him for that one thing. Matt, I think everything you said about just wanting to have that running back there, that gives you a great ceiling on he a regular play. He wants to play, Ian. <laughs> you don't think Raheem Mostert wants the carries? Hey, Raheem, you want to take 15 touches? What, is he going to say, no, I don't want to be a football player? I don't hey, want to make it hurt. Bro, you're talking about the running back that I have more best ball exposure to than freaking anyone. So excuse me if I'm a little bit, uh, you know, tilted here in Raheem Mostert, but everything no, I with love Mitchell. Him. I, that, when I saw Raheem Mostert operating as the primary back in San Francisco, you have to understand how like how happy that, just like seeing okay. Cordell Patterson, yes. it, you know, g- getting the majority of the touches in the Atlanta backfield with all that versatility and all the explosiveness that makes me so happy to see that like, Oh, wow. So you, you do have the ability to uh, design your player personnel packages to what will, Oh, I don't know. Score the most <laughs> points. Maybe that- that's the answer. Now to me, there's a, a running back. I want to talk about the rest of the way that we should, we should talk about because he's not getting enough consideration. Okay. Okay. And that's Alvin Kamara. Especially it's- now that news we just got. Jets, Bucks, Dolphins, Panthers. I like this a lot for Alvin Kamara because Alvin Kamara, it, he's the exception where if you are more of a you know between the tackles runner, you face Tampa, you're not going to have a good game, right? Tampa's going to they, they, Ezekiel Elliott had his worst game of the season against Tampa and started the season off on the wrong foot. A satellite back plus like Alvin Kamara, who does as much damage in the passing game as the running game he could put up 20 fantasy points against Tampa. In fact, you can see that because, okay, the pass rush gets to whoever the quarterback is and they dump it off a little bit more to Kamara. Right. Kamara becomes even more important against a, a, a team like Tampa. But then you also know that Alvin Kamara has a six touchdown game on his resume. 
that he can be a weak winner. And he's Alvin Kamara. So it's, it's interesting when you think about tournaments, like on underdog, you have these, these best ball tournaments, best ball mania, right? The little puppy tournament, you have all these tournaments, right? If you can sneak through a player that wasn't out for the year, but missed a majority of the year, and then you can have variance and differentiation on your competitors. You can be one of the few teams. That's a great gift. If you can somehow have a team that's good enough, deep enough to make it through into the playoffs of one of these best ball tournaments, and then you can flip over that card and it's one of those rare cards, right? It's one of those, it's, it's like a magic, the gathering, one of those uh, <laughs> the, the turnover, like the chaos orb or some, some rare orchid card. And it's like, Oh, the whole, you just wipe out the whole board with that one card. If you're in the best ball tournament, you turn over Alvin Kamara and very few that drafted him made it. You, you, you shiver runs down the spine of everyone else you're competing with. Mark, marking. Oh, PFF Lily is a fan. Mark Ingram put on the COVID list as well. So in the near future, particularly looking good for uh, Mr. Kamara. And look, I know last year when Taysom Hill was under center, I saw the splits. It wasn't great. You got to remember, though, that was with Michael Thomas there. That was with Latavius Murray there. Different guys that they felt they can get the ball to. There's nobody in this offense right now. Like Deontay Harris was starting to flash a little bit, and he's now suspended for three weeks. So great point on Kamara. Last thing. What I like is I like – green grass yeah show me green grass show me <laughs> wide open spaces right there's no competition for touches left it's gonna be the alvin Kamara show like it is nowhere else no other running back is going to be as featured as Kamara in the next three or four weeks the fantasy playoffs congratulations if you somehow made it to the fantasy playoffs with alvin Kamara, you're so set Go get that title. So one cool thing that PFF's own Eric Eager has been studying is this idea where, like, why do really smart coaches still want to run the ball? And I think a lot of what you said about having that best case scenario is why they do it. Because if you look at passes and the EPA per play with a pass, yes, on the average pass play, you average more expected points than the average run play. But a perfectly blocked run play is more efficient than just a regular or even a good sometimes pass play. So you can actually look at like which running backs, and Eric has all this information in an article on pff.com, have been the best this year behind a perfectly blocked offensive line. Jonathan Taylor at 9.9 yards per carry when everything is perfectly blocked. And in second place, Elijah Mitchell at 8 Bam. point. 0.03 yards oh. per carry and that schedule again everyone just cannot get enough of it falcons titans texans mitchell kamara maybe maybe stack them in one of those underdog tournaments can't hurt let's move on over to wide receiver though matt because a lot of options here you know we've had Devonte, tyree cooper cup these guys have kind of been at the top of the league but we got some injuries happening i do wonder i don't know it's not the easiest schedule bears rams packers but if Adam Thielen's going to be out here for a couple of weeks, man. There you Justin go. I was Jefferson. waiting for you to say the right yeah. answer. Hey, was, Thank I you for the right answer. I had to get the intro going. How to get the ding, intro? Ding, 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 he got in. it. He got it, everybody. He got there. <laughs> yeah. He got the right answer. Justin Jefferson. <laughs> oh, that's the right answer. That's the guy. He would be my wide receiver one. If we were drafting today, I would want Justin Jefferson. It would be Jonathan Taylor, Justin Jefferson, Kyler Murray, Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> <laughs> Probably is Gronk, man. That, that, would, that would be my team. That'd be my, oh. my top position players. Justin Jefferson is going to melt faces the rest of the way. And we could be looking at Eric Bimefor from Roto Grinders talked about this in the Mind of Mansion show yesterday. We could be looking at 
Michael Thomas with target depth. And like Pete Michael Thomas with yeah. target depth. That looks like what we're going to get from Justin Jefferson the rest of the way. Like this is a this is a full body tingle moment. <laughs> Bro. And it, it, it's not like you're, you're you're not sneaking him through, right? You're, you're not sneaking him through like Camara. No, no, no. If we would redraft, I would take Jefferson number one because Jefferson helps you get to the playoffs and then helps you absolutely crush the playoffs. He's literally number one receiving yards since last year. I mean, I think when he was doing everything he was doing in 2020, everyone's like, "Look how great this guy! Look how great this rookie receiver is." He's really been a top five receiver ever ever since he stepped foot in the league. I mean, it's a shame it took him until week three last year to get out there on the field. We had to watch who was it, Tajay Sharp, keep Justin Jefferson on the bench for two weeks. Two oh, weeks. Oh, B.C. Long, Johnson. Man. Oh, B.C. Johnson, you're right. Oh, oh B.C. Johnson. So Sorry, yeah, Tajay. I think we have uh, we have we're going to see some K.J. Osborne. We're going to see some D.D. Westbrook. So we're going to see some D.D. Westbrook in Minnesota. We're going to see some K.J. Osborne. And I'm hoping I like Amir Smith-Marset. I have Amir Smith-Marset stashed in Dynasty. He profiles like a lot of these new modern separator wide receivers. So in the last 10 years, there's been this shift in the NFL away from the sort of outside clashers Mm -hmm. and more targets being funneled into the middle and in the short intermediate quadrants to players like Keenan Allen. So maybe historically a Mike Williams would have been outproducing Keenan Allen regularly, where now Keenan Allen's going to outproduce Mike Williams. The best example of this is Deontay Johnson versus Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool's probably has some of the best size adjusted athleticism in the it's league, it'd be like yeah. Claypool, DK Metcalf. There's a handful of guys that that look the part of a true outside X receiver, an alpha like Chase Claypool. But in today's NFL, Deontay Johnson's going to hog those targets. And I'm not saying that you know Amir Smith Marset is ever going to compete with Justin Jefferson. He's not. But could he be better than KJ Osborne? Yeah. Could he be better than DD Westbrook? Yeah. Maybe not this week, but Next year, the number two wide receiver in what has been a you know a an efficient passing game could be that separator, and that's Amir Smith Marset. Because what we look at in one of the the, the uh, key data points on prospect profiles is special teams production, and that was the great data point that that suggested Cooper Cup was was better than you know uh, the, the typical small school resume slot receiver might mm-hmm. suggest. And that was what we saw with Deontay Johnson, great special teams production. So there's a long history of this archetype of player having success in the NFL, Amir Smith-Marset in Minnesota. I mean, just go to that like NFL throwback channel, watch a game from 10 years ago, and it's pretty easy to see how different it is for these smaller it's receivers yeah, it's on so the field, weird. man. Like they're not yeah. getting taken out the way they used to. Some of those, like look at the Ravens Steelers game from 10 years ago and look at the one that happened last week. Tells you all you need to know. So everyone, quarterback, we want Kyler for the fantasy playoffs, running back, Kamara, Mitchell, Taylor, you know, I do like the Kamara call as a little bit contrarian. Wide receiver, Justin Jefferson, and tight end Matt. It might just have to be Gronk. It's crazy. Gronk we're back. is so good, man. So He's good. so good. It, it, it's amazing. Like this, this season has been absolutely amazing. It's been a time Turner season. Remember the time Turner from Hermione <laughs> and, uh, and Harry Potter as you go, so you can you take two classes at once. 
Like, you got some magic references turn. going today. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, I'm a big nerd. Big, big. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. PFF. You know, That's true. You know, That's true. Nerd now, baby. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're. we're <laughs> well, what's next? Dungeons and Dragons. Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So you think about the players that are breaking out. We have uh, Cordero Patterson. Yeah, buddy. We have a, a throwback year in the time machine for Rob Gronkowski, but, but it doesn't, we're just getting started there. We're getting a tepid breakout in year six from a Laquan Treadwell. In Devontae Freeman's making shit. Think about this. Devontae Freeman is back. He's like a top 10 running back the last three weeks. And now you look up and guess who's going to be active in the passing game in an Alvin Kamara role in Carolina. Oh man. Abdullah. Amir Abdullah. Amir Abdullah, all these players we were talking about in Dynasty six years ago, right? In the mid-teens, we were talking about, you know, 2014, 15, 16. We were talking about Laquan Treadwell. We were talking about a lot of people were really excited about uh, uh, Amir Abdullah. And all these players are breaking up. I'm like, the next shoe to drop is Tavon Austin. I mean, if Tavon Austin (laughs) breaks out, I think that we might be we might be ready for the apocalypse. Hand him the ball, and he might quit using him as a freaking wide receiver. Right, but I mean, this is—I've never seen this many throwback performances. I mean, this breaks the throwback records <laughs> into pieces. It's it's being shattered. All of these older players, post breakout, uh, post hype sleeper. I mean. It, it, Absolutely unprecedented, and I'm at, I'm here for it. I mean, you you're you, you're one of the the, the raging Cordell Patterson stands. Always, I've always loved Amir Abdullah. I mean, there's someone, there's some old player for everybody this year. <laughs> Truly has been a blast from the past for Gronk. Two point two seven yards per route run. Like last year, he was still good, but it was at one point five four. In 2018, it was at one point six nine. Like we're truly seeing him in the mid 2010s level again. And that was when he was working as the freaking best tight end we've basically ever seen. So all due respect to Kelsey, but with no AB, we're seeing Gronkies right alongside Evans and Goblin, man. Right. And they had the same fantasy points per game. Yep. So when they came into the league, Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski were analytically comparable to each other. Size, college production, athletic profiles, very similar. And now they're they're back to producing the same fantasy points per game. Kelsey's not delivering the ceiling that you were hoping for, that leverage you wanted in the first round. The move was to get the guy that looks like Kelsey in a potential throwback season in round 12 yeah. in Rob Gronkowski. His catch rate, his yards per target, his efficiency metrics are better now than they were during his career pre-2019. Gronk's literally only 144 days older than Kelsey. And I know I'm like the 100th guy to repeat that stat over the years. They but are one of shocking they are very similar dudes. They're very, they've always been very similar dudes. And the, the big difference was that injury history that Travis Kelsey didn't experience. Travis Kelsey got his injury in early, that microfracture procedure yeah. with a torn ACL. And then was healthy after that, whereas Gronkowski was healthy for his first couple seasons where no one even knew who Travis Kels was, right? <laughs> we we since have, have had got his name wrong for 10 years. <laughs> and, and then suddenly 
Rob Gronkowski has the back injury, has the arm injury, has the knee injury, has the leg injury, has the hamstring, and his shoulder. Yeah. It was every elbow, ribs, every body part. And now he's back through on the other side. I just can't believe all these players that we thought were <laughs> old, dusty, post-injury, beaten into the ground. James Connors back. Oh, yeah. He's he looking looks good like too. 2018 James Connors catching one-handed passes on the sideline. It's like, I'm like, wait a second. Is that wait, did, did did Chase Edmonds come back a week early? No, that's James Connor out there. That's right? the thing like, with Connor, man. Like, I I okay, I saw the allure of drafting him this year. The disparity was probably too big between them. You could see him getting the goal line role and things like that. But you're right. He's out there. He looks good. I was watching. Um, it was a uh, one of the Sundays this year. One of the only Sundays I wasn't in Cincinnati. I was in Columbus with my sweet mother watching football. You know, having a good time. And Connor rips off this like 50 yard run, and my mom just looks up and goes, "Wow, who's that? He's fast." And I was like, "You know what, mom? He is fast. This James Connor. I don't get it. This uh, he's not actually fast, uh, <laughs> mom. But he is in the best possible situation to look fast, and that's oh, that's what's going on. And he certainly found a, a different approach in the offseason because before his final year in Pittsburgh, I remember he was out in the woods with the cabin. He was throwing the logs, <laughs> throwing the firewood, chopping wood, doing he went full Rocky, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> and see, I think that he he actually um, he he went in a different direction with his training before this season. And he, he wasn't doing it out in the open. He wasn't out at the cabin. He wasn't, he went with a more modern approach. <laughs> Makes sense. To strengthening and conditioning this year. And it's working, right? It's where for a lot of these players, the formerly dusty, broken players have found a way to heal themselves in a way that, I, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate. In, in some cases, I just think that it's new medical procedures. Like, for example, Achilles tendon. Right, the Achilles tendon injuries. People are coming back. Dante Foreman looks explosive, looks great. Cam right? Akers ahead of schedule. Cam Akers is going to look explosive, and and this is a, an important thing for Dynasty in that you're not going to see J.K. Dobbins until maybe week two or three next year because he tore both the ACL and the MCL, and we saw what happened with Saquon Barkley. And it takes it's you have the surgery, you recover, then you have the, the next surgery, and then you recover from that. They can't do it all at once. It's this sequential multi-surgery, multi-rehabilitation process, layered rehabilitation process. So I'm not expecting to see J.K. Dobbins on a football field at all until late summer, whereas we could see Cam Akers on a football field operating as a primary back in the NFL playoffs. Oh God, please don't do in, that though. Just let him rest for a little bit longer. But, but in, but if you see him and he looks healthy and he's prepared, he's going to have a full off season. That's going to tilt the balance in dynasty. Whereas right now they're very similar players, right? Similar prospect profiles, elite running back. It's two of the more elite running back prospects we've seen the last few years, both out for the year. So there there's, but then you see acres moving up. Because it once he establishes health, then you could start projecting him much easier in 2022. And he's going to be a guy I'm going to look for in the third round of rookie of, of uh, seasonal league drafts. I'll be looking to get Cam Akers. Cam, it, it, it basically, if you had a, a lost season, I want to draft you next year. I'm going to draft Cam Akers. I'm going to draft Travis Etienne. Those are going to be my guys.
Do you think we could see the Achilles eventually become kind of like an ACL where obviously it's not ideal, but we don't need to think of it as like this death punch? Because think about how ACLs were viewed 10 years ago. It's not like we just kind of knew guys could come back from those. We Different position, but we do have OJ Howard, CJ Uzoma coming back a year after the Achilles and looking decent enough. Well, Demarius Thomas had the Achilles injury and he came back and was productive. Kevin Durant has yeah. looked like Kevin Durant coming off an Achilles tear and a bunch of these gymnasts in the Olympics were coming back within three months of torn Achilles. So once I saw that, I saw these, all these gymnasts coming back from these Achilles tendon ruptures so early, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to aggressively go after some cam acres. Now I think it's, I think it's less severe now. I think the Achilles is, I would rather have the Achilles injury than even the Travis Etienne foot injury. I prefer the Achilles. Wow. We're here. Science. Got to love it. Well, what what it is, is you're building back muscle tissue. So tendons are really just an extension of the muscle. Mm -hmm. And we've come real far with stem cell therapy and the, the plate platelet rich plasma injections with the stem cells that it, 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 it's regenerating muscle in a way that with connective tissue, with ligaments, you, you can't do that. You have to go in, you have to repair it, and, and you have to go through the process. Whereas now they're speeding up the recovery timeline, building back that muscle. And I think that some of these therapies might be behind Gronk's resurgence, what James Conner's doing. And so what happened was they legalized those injection therapies that Peyton Manning had to go to Germany to get, Kobe Bryant had to go to Germany to get when he ruptured his Achilles. Mm-hmm. And now that they've legalized them in America, everybody I've gotten them, I've got an injection in my knee and it feels nice. like a new knee. Like, so once I, once I went through the process of getting that, that platelet rich stem cell therapy, I was wondering how the hell knee, you do all this. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, it, cause it was on my patellar tendon. And then the, okay. the doctor was telling me all about it and give me this whole history. Huh. And the whole time, you know, I'm thinking, right. Yeah. The whole time I'm not thinking about my, you know, this is the crazy thing. This is, this is what, this is what fantasy football is all about. You understand this. He's talking to me, right. About my, like my health, my knee. And I'm thinking about cam acres. <laughs> How, how can I probably immediately written, probably weren't even home, probably went to your car, got your phone out and just started making Cam Akers trades yeah, from the like, hospital oh parking lot. It's legal. We won. We, we have a sick problem, but I still love fantasy football. Yeah, Matt, we're, we're, we're sickos. Week 17 ends. That Sunday is January 2nd. People are still going to have some champagne from New Year's probably. They didn't pop open. They're going to have their fantasy championships. They're going to want to celebrate. Who are they going to be most happy with? Who do you think will be the fantasy playoff MVP when it's all said and done? It, we, so we talked about it. it, it Just there's, a pick, though. There's, One guy. There, there's no other X. I mean, it's, it's going to be Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, Jefferson yeah. is going to be just a hero. And it's, it's the law of the conservation of targets. Like that, That's what it is. Even if you're an elite player at, at the peak of your powers – you, it's still you're better off for fantasy football if you have the whole game to yourself. Yeah. If you can eat the whole fucking pie, <laughs> you can put the napkin right. You can tuck it in. You get your fork, your knife. You just you eat the whole thing. You eat the, that's that's going to be just he's in the right team with the right situation with the right quarterback. No Adam Thielen. It's on. He's going to be the signature league winner. In fact, I'm just 
in all these leagues where, especially in dynasty, where you grind it out for years and you build a super team, you know, and you look over and you see another team and you're like, Oh, he has Jefferson. Oh, fuck! right. <laughs> God damn it. And you're just like, this is, Oh, this is just gross. I think Justin Jefferson, Chris Godwin is trending in that direction. Yeah. No AB. So you think about the law of the conservation of targets, you're going to get uh, continue to get incredible production from Chris Godwin, continue to get incredible tr- production from Justin Jefferson. I'd bounce the question back at you. We've talked about Elijah Mitchell. Is there another running back that you think besides the ones we've talked about that is super poised? I'm thinking maybe Antonio Gibson could be that guy. Gibson makes sense. I think the guy we briefly touched on, another one of these old dudes that's uh, come back roaring, Devontae Freeman, man. The schedule is doable enough, but... League see, winner? Maybe, man. League winner? When's the last time we saw this Ravens offense like actually feature just one running back? It was when Mark Ingram scored freaking 15 touchdowns in 2019. Like We know how it is with these dual-threat quarterbacks. It makes it tough to get the volume for the running backs in the pass and run game. But hell, we got Freeman flirting with 70% snaps now. He's seeing over 20 opportunities per game. Like this doesn't happen in Baltimore. It's why I was a little bit lower on J.K. Dobbins than most, not because I saw the injury coming, but because I thought between him, Gus, maybe Justice Hill, maybe who the hell knows, they continue to use multiple guys. Everyone else you just mentioned, man, what's happening? They're taking over their backfield. That's what Freeman's doing right now too. And it's probably not going to be Antonio Gibson because he goes Dallas, Philadelphia, Dallas, Philadelphia. Yeah. That's no good. That's no good. Those are stout front sevens. Those teams are more pass funnel than run funnel. Ugh. I will go back to something you were talking about, though, that law Um, of the conservation of uh, targets, because I've seen a lot of people write off Kyle Pitts' struggles this year as like, hey, once Calvin Ridley went out, defenses can just focus on Pitts. There's nothing he can do. And right. That's a fallacy, right? I I think maybe in real life we can make that argument. But in fantasy, I just think there's far more examples, guys like Jefferson, what Hunter Renfro has done without Henry Ruggs. You can look at DeAndre Hopkins in 2020 getting force fed targets in 20. 21 better real life offense not better for deandre hopkins fantasy managers i realize that everything's not black and white and fantasy and life in general but matt certainly seems like in the overwhelming majority of cases we just want the volume you you if if a fantasy analyst is touting a player and their their first argument is well this player is going to receive less attention from the defense (laughs) because of teammate x who's better than change him. the channel <laughs> change the channel that that's that's not right that's bad analysis that's a total fallacy the target conservation matters so much more you're trying to tell me russell gage would be more productive if calvin ridley were there you know taking away attention of the defenses fuck out of here man the bottom line is that the whole tight end world is upside down gronk is outscoring kels and now we're seeing oh Fryermuth yeah. could outscore Kyle Pitts. Ooh. As it turns out, as it turns out, it's never a good idea, whether it's the kicker position or any position, it's never a good idea to take a particular position higher in the draft than it's ever been selected. Just based on probabilities, that's not the way to go. If you have a franchise left tackle available and you don't currently have one and you pass on Penny Sewell because you're enamored by the, 
you know, unicorn production profile and athleticism and potential of a position that's never been drafted that high, walk away. That's just bad general manager process when you have a Penny Sewell there and 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 they were see last year and the year before with with Tristan Wirfs, the NFL's been doubly guilty of this yeah. of letting franchise left tackles into the teens. It happened with Wirfs and who got him? Tom Brady. Then it happened again with Rashawn Slater. Who got him? Uh, Justin Herbert. And you're wondering why there's no parity in this league. There'd be more parity in the NFL if teams weren't helping other teams in their own division. Oh, don't worry, Bill. You can have Mac Jones. We'll we'll take this guy, Zach Wilson, that's never beat a good team in college. Go ahead, Bill. We, we don't want to stand in your way of winning championships. Us little Jets franchise. We'll, we'll get out of your way, Bill. Don't worry. We, we don't want parity in this league. That would be bad. I, I know I've been awfully hard on some of these, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts truthers out there. It's just more like, again, relative to where he was drafted, it's been a massive disappointment. I understand he'll still be a top 10 tight end. He's going to flirt with a thousand yards. That's all fine. At the end of the day, 14 hey. other tight ends have more top 12 finishes than the guy this year. That's not what we were signing up for. Hey, it was just as bad, just as bad to draft Jalen Waddle where the Dolphins did. Yeah. So we can criticize process, right? You can get accused of playing the result on Kyle Pitts. We can't get accused of playing the result on Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle was a straight up bad pick. If you could take a franchise left tackle, or if you think you need a quarterback, if you're not sure about who your quarterback is, and Justin Fields is there and Mac Jones is there, taking a small dynamic receiver in the top 10 is one of the more fraught strategies and tactics in the NFL draft. The number of busts at wide receiver that have come out of the top 10, especially undersized explosive receivers, it's it's the easiest fade of any particular position drafted in a particular draft slot would be the Jalen Waddle archetype in the top 10 especially given who was on the board. I'm talking about not just Sewell, talking about players all the way out to Rashawn Slater and Mac Jones. That was a mistake. As productive as Jalen Waddle's been this year, that was still a process-based mistake. And you're going to see teams continue to make this mistake because Jalen Waddle technically hit. Tell you one thing, though. That's the last player I'll be drafting next year. I was Jalen Waddle's gonna yeah. go in the third round after competing with no one, absolutely no one. Mac Hollins, Albert Wilson, that's your target competition. <laughs> so you need to know the environment in which a player was productive. Brandon Ayuk was productive because the other wide receivers in that passing game while he was putting up the hundred yard games was Richie James. <laughs> he was opposite a Richie James level talents. And that's the level of talent that currently Jalen Waddles competing with. So what I do is I have a little notepad and right now I put do not draft in 2022 and Jalen Waddles at the top of that list. As good as he's been, see, this was the year to get him. You see that? You see that this was the year to get Gronk. Yeah. I'm not drafting Gronk next year. <laughs> see, this is the year to get, you don't want to, that's the thing. Anytime you're drafting a player the year after you should have got him, 
you're probably doing it wrong. Now, <laughs> occasionally, if a guy is like mega generational, the best rookie wide receiver ever in Justin Jefferson, okay, all right, probably a good play, probably a good, probably a good pick. We'll right? follow up on but, that guy, yeah. But in, in the NFL draft, you look at the value uh, proposition. It makes very little sense to go either tight end or wide receiver in the first round, period. Most first-round wide receivers do not pay off. Most first-round tight ends do not pay off. Guess what? You draft a tight end in the second round, that's Dallas Goddard. That's Cole Kmet. That's Hunter Henry. Day two tight ends are much better values. Who else was drafted in the second round? Uh, A.J. Brown, uh, D.K. Metcalf. You can go down the list of quality wide receivers, even this year. Uh, one of the best wide receivers. If not, you could, you, could, you could envision a world where at the end of the season, Elijah Moore has a better season than Jamar Chase. That's yeah. absolutely possible, especially given the law of the conservation of targets and that they'll be throwing more in New York than they will in Cincinnati the rest of the way. He was a second-round pick. So was T. Higgins. It really I mean, goes up even the that? round. Do it I really goes up to round three. Receivers? Two. I mean, a wide receiver. I've you know I've gone back and looked at the rookies. It's round one, two, and three. If you're day one wide receiver, you have a good chance. Now I want to go back to what you're saying about Waddle because I'm going to combine a couple of the questions that I have in the handy dandy show sheet here because yeah, one it's of the almost biggest... like I've seen this show sheet to help you out. <laughs> kings, kings, stay kings, Matt. You know that. So one of the biggest lessons that I've really tried to articulate in recent weeks is just the fact that we can't always let last year try to predict next year, and that led to two of my misses. Where Jonathan Taylor, I had him as the RB11. I wasn't fading him. I've, I have him on like 75 percent of my dynasty teams. I get the talent with the guy, but I was looking to much at the usage where literally Marlon Mack, Wilkins, and Naeem Hines had more total opportunities than Taylor last year. That hasn't happened this year because things change from year to year just like with Tyler Boyd who, yeah I looked it up today, he had at least 8 targets in 7 of his 10 games with Joe Burrow last year. Now he has that in like 3 or 4 games this year because Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are pretty freaking good and they're demanding more targets. So well, I, I would be careful, hold on I would yeah. be careful with any lessons learned mm -hmm. about the Bengals? The Bengals were by far and away the hardest wide receiver, or the hardest wide receiver that room pass to project. Tank too, but yeah. also the hardest team to project this year because their play calling trends flipped. Yeah, they went from a pass first team, a the most uh, you know pass heavy team in neutral game script situations in 2021 to one of the most run heavy because they finally found a way to solve their offensive line deficiencies as well as protect Joe Burrow was to become a running team. Yeah. They decided to change their identity. So if in these meeting rooms in July, they're crafting a new identity and we don't know that. And even the beat reporters have no idea what's going on because it's literally behind closed doors and it's not public. And then they reveal a brand new identity when the season opens and us fantasy gamers are drafting their wide receivers as if they're going to be a high volume pass attack, there's very little you can learn from that. You just have to take your beats and move on the, the where we as fantasy gamers need to get a lot better is understanding projection fragility where I was not high enough on Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Because I said, well, how is it possible? How is it possible? Gronk's going to be back. How is it possible? You got you to find five targets per game for Fournette. 
How is it, how is it possible? And, oh, Mike Evans is experiencing this efficiency decline. So Mike Evans is staring into the face of a target squeeze and an efficiency decline. Mike Evans is one of the worst picks in fantasy. That's what I said. I said the two worst picks are Mike Evans and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, because there was a book by J.J. Zacharyson called The Late Round Quarterback that everyone needs to read. So once you've read that, you know Patrick Mahomes <laughs> was a terrible pick in the third round. I also thought Mike Evans was a terrible pick in the third round. What I didn't factor into that was projection fragility, where you have to assume there's going to be some change in the target or touch yep. distribution during the season. And of course, in this case, it was Antonio Brown's injury and suspension and Gronk's injury. There could have been a there could have been a Godwin injury. There could have there's so many different ways that Mike Evans could have hit, whether or not he continued his efficiency decline or not, just because you want pieces of this offense. And so I apologize to everyone that I accused of being a big dummy, <laughs> right? Being the stone worst drafter selecting Mike Evans. That's, that's my bad. I was wrong. I did not factor in enough projection fragility and I beg you to forgive me. But I do think, I mean, I remember looking at, and you do the same thing with Jonathan Taylor, by the way. Yes, absolutely. You do the same thing because you were looking at Naheem Hines and that, that, that was focusing on the wrong details. Yep. And I, I thought too, that, you know, Going from Rivers to Carson Wentz, it wasn't a guarantee they would have the same level of scoring opportunities. I'm not going to say I'm the dumbest guy on the planet here. There's a reason why not, not many people were barking at me about this back in August. But, you know, once all the once we're 12, 13 weeks through the season, now all of a sudden everyone's got something to say about it. But just real quick on Evans, man, I remember going through and like sneaky last year, we just weren't even seeing the same sort of floor that was afforded to him when Jameis was just chucking the thing all around the yard from 2014 to 2019. Evans had five total games with fewer than five targets. He had seven such games in 2020 alone, man. So don't hate that call. You know, it was, listen, man, just go into it knowing your projections are fragile. And and when you do that, when you do that, what ends up happening is you end up focusing a little bit more on the offenses that you can trust Mm -hmm. the quarterback, the, the wide receivers tethered to the quarterbacks you can trust. It would lead you to a Justin Jefferson. And, you know, in the case of Joe Burrow in the Cincinnati offense, it, it led me to a lot of Chase and Higgins. Yeah. And it hasn't paid off like I was I, I had hoped. But like I said, that I, I, I've gone round and round looking at all these different uh, you know pre-draft processes. I can't see many lessons learned. I, I, I don't think drafting Chase or Higgins was a mistake at all. So. I wanted to get to Waddle. I have a nice little section here, just dynasty buy or sell, because I'm with you. Mm. Waddle is going to be way overvalued in drafts next year, particularly. I mean, we look at this oh, offense. God. They, their, their offensive line is historically bad. Like the fact that Tua is running all these RPOs, all these quick hitters, you almost got to give them some credit because like that's the only way this offense can even like somewhat move the ball at this point. But you look at them. Parker's been in now the lineup. Will Fuller has played like 60 snaps all season long. Waddle is not going to be in this situation next year. Could he receive a quarterback upgrade? Okay. But like Matt, when I've been trying to look at guys to take these jumps and, you know, we've had our Calvin Ridley's, our Chris Goblins, these guys that have the massive third year boom sometimes. I know Waddle's just a rookie, but we want to see some level of underlying efficiency. I know Waddle has some burners, but man, I don't want to have to keep going back to his Alabama highlights every time I want to see the guy have a big play. I feel like we're looking at 
almost like Miami Dolphins, Jarvis Landry, where, okay, if we're going to give him 150 targets a year, he'll produce. Who's not going to produce on 150 targets per year? Everyone does, unless Blake Bortles is your quarterback the second time around for Allen Robinson. But even he did that once. So I guess with Waddle, like, what are you doing with him in Dynasty? Because it seems like his value is higher than ever right now. I would sell his 6.3 average target depth. (sighs) That's low (laughs) is ranked 100 among qualified wide receivers. Okay. His target share in the context of the Miami offense, which has had no Will Fuller and Devontae Parker playing half the games in and out. Yeah. His target share is under 25%. That might be his career high target share. And that's still outside the top 20. His air yard share, because this is a high volume offense, a pass first offense, they don't, I mean, it's an analytically run organization. So those organizations typically run less and pass more. And that's what we're seeing. Miami top five in pass plays per game. Waddle's air yard share, get this. You're not, I don't know. Are you ready for this? Let's hear it. His air yard share is 22%, which is number 54 in the NFL. Come on, man. It's not good. It's just not good. And you can't live in that zone. You can't live in that zone. You, I mean, you can, like you said, Jarvis Landry has, and Jarvis Landry has a wide receiver one season on his resume. Yeah. Right. With, with, you can, you can get the, the touchdown variants. Cause Parker and, kept getting hurt his entire career. <laughs> right. Right. So, so Landry got, you know, had that, I think he had a 10 touchdown game. Uh, a 10 touchdown ten season touchdown game. That was wild. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that 10 touchdown game? <laughs> they get a 10 touchdown season, which is what, what fueled that. And you see Waddle hasn't, hasn't scored that many touchdowns, only five touchdowns. Yeah. So it's not the touchdown luck. I'd be fading. Like that was the big fade on chase Claypool last year. It's like, if you're number one in the league in, in touchdown rate at the wide receiver position, you're an insta fade. It's just on principle. You put them on the block in dynasty. That's it. There's no, I don't care about anything else. Don't give me efficiency. Don't give me anything. You know, touchdown rate, you fade, you sell touchdowns. I'm a touchdown salesman. Hey, touchdown. <laughs> hey, get your touchdown here. Hey, touchdown. Hey. Touchdown. Hey. Chase Staple. Hey. Right. So, uh, in, in, in the case of Jalen Waddle, I don't even have that many advanced metrics that says just targets. Like, all he has is targets. It's the That's only it. routes and targets. Uh, I'll, I'll sell that. Yeah. I'm happy to put him on the block. You can get a lot for Jalen Waddle. You can get a lot. You can get a first round plus first round pick plus in dynasty. You got to do it. A guy that's a little bit has a lesser overall value and perception, but I still think there's a lot of residual brand equity there where you can still get great value mm-hmm. is uh, Jerry Judy. Nice. There's an incredible amount of uncertainty. There's target uncertainty in that they extended Tim Patrick and they extended Cortland Sutton. See, a lot of people, they don't pay as close attention. And some of these, especially the smaller franchises, like a Cincinnati or a Denver, they don't have like a a large pool of beat reporters. So it, it, it ends up happening that when you know, a Kenny Galladay signs, you know, a bloated contract that gets talked about ad nauseum, mm-hmm. but you know, Denver extending like when Cincinnati extended Tyler Boyd, like that was very under the radar. Like yeah. very few people were talked about that, but you looked at that contract and you're like, Oh man, I don't know. They're not paying him like a number one. Yeah. And you know, he's a cut candidate 40 over four or something. I think. Wasn't yeah. Now, now they might cut him. 
they could save $7 million by cutting him. Then where does he go? It's, it's so you're it's a little bit terrifying there. I'm not saying that Jerry Judy's Tyler Boyd, but he's somewhere between Tyler Boyd and Jalen Waddle. Like if you imagine a zone between Tyler Boyd and Jalen Waddle, that's Jerry Judy because he's in this, this target squeeze where they have two quality tight ends that are identical to each other, just like Kels and Gronk are the same guy. Albert and, and Fant are like the same guy on the same. Look at team. you nailing the pronunciation. Oh baby, oh baby! It's almost <laughs> like I'm a. It's almost like I'm a. I'm an amateur broadcaster. It's almost <laughs> like that. And then you have these two quality uh, pass catching running backs in Gordon yeah. and in Javante Williams. Oh, it's so and, spread out. It, it fucking. Sucks. It, I mean. I don't ever use that cliche in, that so many fantasy gamers do. The too many mouths to. <laughs> don't do it. Don't I do can't it. Say yeah. it. Oh, good. good. I can't. I, no, but there's too many mouths to feed. <laughs> I can't. Ian, I can't say it. Something was like, it's in my chest and in my throat. I just, I can't get it out. But when you go ahead and extend Tim Patrick and guarantee him a $10 million salary in 2022, and Corlin Sutton's going to be around for another two years. That that takes Jerry Judy through his rookie contract. Now you have to bank on Denver picking up his fifth year option, and maybe in 2024 he can be the featured weapon like Deontay Johnson is. But you have to wait that long, and he's coming off a high ankle sprain. He hasn't been productive, but he's still highly valuable because of the Jerry Judy brand equity, the first round pick, the Alabama helmet. There's a lot there for all the, the similar reasons that you could still get a, 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 a good return for Waddle. You can still get a good return for Judy, but you can't get a return for Cortland Sutton anymore. No one wants yeah. to talk about Cortland Sutton. No one wants to talk to you about LaVisca Chenault. I mean, there's a lot of wide receivers. What about Sutton, though, man? Maybe now, maybe that's the guy we should be going after because I, I hear you. With Judy, we were I would hoping, rather have Sutton. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. We, like we have reports coming out literally, let's see, 20 minutes ago, report. Russell Wilson would accept a trade to the Giants, the Saints, or the Broncos. Like, we can't assume Denver's going to do the right thing and give this offense to someone not named Teddy Bridgewater last year. But, man, between Russ and Rodgers and some of the potential murmurs we've heard – we know Sutton and Patrick are there, and that does hurt Judy because, yeah, to your point, he's not going to have that, seemingly won't have that complete alpha wide receiver one role for quite some time. But there's also the, the quarterback uncertainty, yeah. right? There's a whole uncertainty quotient in Dynasty 2 where that's why T. Higgins is, is such a, an incredible Dynasty asset in a way that Waddle and Judy are not yeah. because – He's produced for two consecutive seasons, which is huge. Justin Jefferson, huge, right? If you can produce your first two seasons consecutively, it's one thing to have one big season, right? It's one thing to be Chase Claypool. If you could do it again and you have quarterback certainty, then the whole floor and ceiling just gets pushed way up. And that's like a guy you would consider overpaying for. Like, I'm happy to overpay. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you overpay for Jamar Chase. Yeah, duh. <laughs> I would actually also overpay for T. Higgins. Nice. I think that's fair. All right, Matt. I know you got a heart out here. About 20. We've already been talking almost an hour. Want one more question that we can ramble on for a little bit. Because you are one of the sharpest dynasty minds in the industry. 
I love Dynasty. I've only been in it maybe three, four years at this point, but it's quickly becoming my favorite form of fantasy football. Any listeners out there that maybe aren't in a Dynasty League yet, but plan on joining one this offseason, do you have a couple general rules of thumb for listeners out there doing a startup Dynasty? What you should be kind of prioritizing in general, what you should maybe you're, try to avoid. You're really teeing me up. Uh, there's a, a book that was published just in the last month, which is the signature guidebook for winning and building a super team in dynasty. It's by me. <laughs> and it's called I the swear dynasty. I didn't even know this. That's awesome though, man. Right. It's called the dynasty dominator reloaded because I, I, I wrote the dynasty dominator, the first book, but it was right here. Here it is. Ooh, look at that cover. It's not great. Okay. <laughs> I wrote that. Uh, I had the audacity to write it after only playing in dynasty for a couple of years. And so there's some bad advice in there. It's now out of print. You cannot, you cannot get it. It's now a relic of fantasy past. You can't, it's, it's not to be read. I don't like it's, I'm not proud of it. In, uh, and, but uh, because I was embarrassed by it, I got all the, the best minds uh, in Roto Underworld together to help me write the follow-up book that would actually cover a lot more bases and get it right every step of the way to building a, 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 a super team that will endure in dynasty. And I've, you know, eating at my own restaurant, I have some dynasty teams that are, you know, complete uh, sort of uh, juggernauts. And what the theme of these teams is that you start with a, a core group of young running backs because the, uh, the running back window is so short where there'll be dominant producers. And now some of those, some of those teams had cam Akers, Some of them had the JK Dobbins yeah. it hasn't worked out, but also Deandre Swift and Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris. They're the, they're the top three running backs in dynasty. How quickly everyone had uh, Christian McCaffrey as the RB one in dynasty now he's nowhere to be found. He's not in the top three anymore. And we're, we're wondering where his career goes from here. That's how quickly it can happen at the running back position. So you need to get your production early. It's critical that all else equal, if you have the, ability, the opportunity to get a Najee Harris, you have to push the button. If it's early in a startup and you're considering drafting a DeAndre Hopkins a couple of week, a couple of years ago, or you know Julio Jones a couple of years before that, just don't do it. Don't draft these post apex wide receivers early. Get a couple, just get a nucleus of running backs of young stud running backs that stuff all the boxes, check all the boxes, get them in there. And then at that point, then you can start to build out your wide receiver core wide receivers, deep man, yeah. wide receivers deep. And you can, you can get wide receivers like Justin Jefferson, your rookie draft, but also Second contract wide receivers. That's another big cheat, right? Yeah. Second contract wide receivers, whether it be, you know, Robert Woods was down to nothing in dynasty gets his second contract and has like a, a, a late breakout. Allen Robinson before this year was looking pretty damn good. Right. Allen Robinson was, was a great wide receiver to get at age 25, 26, 27. Mm -hmm. Who's been the best wide receiver in, in fantasy football. It's been the, Second contract, Cooper Cup. Time and time and time and time again, you're better off 
getting these wide receivers in their second contract because they're much harder to project as rookies. The reason why NFL teams should not be investing first round picks, unless it's Jamar chase or a CD lamb, unless you're one of these, you know, top 10 prospects of the last decade, I would walk away from the wide receiver position in the first round because more often than not, it's going to be a Kadarius Tony or it's going to be a Philip Dorsett. I mean, there's just like we talked about the list is long, but that same problem is presents itself in dynasty where you think you're getting the next stud receiver. And instead you look up and Terrace Marshall's a game day inactive. Yeah. And you're like, how is this possible? (laughs) And then you look back through time and see every year, every year, in 2014, it was Dante Moncrief. Then it was Jalen Strong, right? Then it was Josh Doxson. Every year, there's a wide receiver that looks like Terrace Marshall that flames out in epic fashion and fucks dynasty gamers, right? So don't play that game with the young wide receivers. Don't invest in young wide receivers that don't have two consecutive seasons of monster production on their profile. You can wait and get a Debo wait and get a Cooper cup, wait and get these guys in the middle rounds. So that's why I prefer super flex and two QB because I focus early on a new, a core nucleus of two or three stud running backs. So basically, you know, you know, the hyper fragile strategy in best ball. Yeah. That's my strategy in dynasty where I want to get a couple running backs early and then essentially don't draft running back. Forget it. Right. You know that running backs are going to churn through even in deep dynasty leagues. You'll have running backs come available on the waiver wire. You can use yep. fuck Amir Abdullah is going to be usable now. <laughs> right. We every week. It's someone new from the past. Someone steps out of a time machine, steps out of some DeLorean in a you know mall parking lot. And you're like, oh, man, you I gotta, you're going to play. You're going to get a bunch of usage. You, you have a great athleticism. You've been taking those. uh those, uh, you know, stem cell injections. Peyton Let's Barber, Peyton up, Barber is an already banged up Josh Jacobs injury away from having 20 touches a week again. Like this happens. This, this happens. Know this happens. And, and, and know that you don't have to pay up, you know, first, second round pick for a Terry McLaurin. You can always get those guys round three and beyond. And in Superflex, I would get my quarterback. I would build around a couple quarterbacks and a couple running backs. And, 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 and you can absolutely mix and match second contract wide receivers after that. And you're sure as hell, you're sure. And you know, this you sure as hell aren't drafting Kyle Pitts <laughs> over Jamar chase, Najee Harris. This was a thing that was happening. I saw Kyle Pitts one one and you cannot be the guy that does this. <laughs> you please Whatever, just don't dra- even in tight end premium. I'm, 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 I implore you, do not overspend on tight end. That's not just a a, you know, dynasty advice. That's general advice. But I mean, especially in dynasty, you cannot overpay for tight end because they're so fragile. They're up until this year, they were even more likely to be injured on any given play than a running back was because they take so many collisions coming from all different angles as blockers and receivers, it is dangerous to be an NFL tight end. And so that's not a position to invest in. So most of my teams, I have a handful of elite running backs, a a total stockpile of wide receivers. um, And there's also, you know, long-term stacking. 
this this is not something to talk. We have a whole chapter in the book Ooh. about stacking in Dynasty and handcuffing. It's a completely different strategy in Dynasty because you have these guys for their careers. It makes a hell of a lot more sense if you have Miles Sanders to go get Kenny Gainwell. In seasonal leagues, that's the exact wrong approach. Only got 13, right? you know, 13 roster spots or so. It's a lot harder to actually do, do that. Yeah. You can't do it. You're betting against yourself. See, mm-hmm. if you have Zeke, you draft Pollard, you're betting against yourself. In yeah. fact, I would dra- I drafted Pollard in every league where I didn't have Zeke. Yep. So it's anti-handcuffing in seasonal leagues. It's the reverse in Dynasty. If you have the opportunity to secure insurance for the long run on Miles Sanders by getting Gainwell in the you know early third round, you're damn right you're going to do that. Oh, who'd you miss out on? Dwayne Eskridge. Oh, who, who'd you miss out on? Amari Rogers. Those backups yeah. go late as hell. I think I got Madison happy in like you got round 18 or something. Yeah. And in the fourth round, um, um, uh, it's like you draft a wide receiver in the fourth round over a, a running back with athleticism. You're doing it wrong. You should have been focused on, I know I say Elijah Mitchell, you think it's, oh, it's hindsight. No, you go to playerprofiler.com. It was clear that Elijah Mitchell had incredible upside if he was given the opportunity. Every year, there are running backs that go in the fourth round of Dynasty rookie drafts that were monster producers in college, that have great athletic profiles, but they didn't get drafted. Why? Because they went to small schools. Because it's Aaron Jones going to UTEP. (laughs) Or it's James Robinson at Illinois State. Right? So every year you have these athletic running backs like Elijah Mitchell, Louisiana Tech, falling into the in the day three. You need to be focused on those guys in the fourth round because the hit rate on fourth round rookie wide receivers is so low. It's so this is how low it's so low. See, see what I just did? <laughs> I just went down to my. It's the, it, the, the like we looked at the probability of archetypes of players and. It's just silly. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to draft wide receiver in the fourth round of a rookie draft because, oh, you think maybe, oh, you think maybe, right? At best, you're chasing like, you know, sub 4-4 speed and Anthony Schwartz or something. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Fourth round. So basically in a, in a, in a rookie draft, I'm almost always drafting wide receiver in round two. Mm-hmm. And I might come out of my rookie seat because I'm loading up on wide receiver in the startup, right? Yeah. Guys I can build around guys that I know are going to endure for the next five years. Just like if you drafted Robert backs. Woods three years ago, it, that was a good pick. Whether he tore his ACL this year or not, that was a great solid pick. And then, then that tees you up. So you're, you're building knowing you want to draft in your startup knowing, hey, I'm going to be loading up on running back in my rookie drafts because I want to get them when they're young because mm-hmm. they do most of their production. People can't believe it when they hear that the running back AJ Pex is 24.5. Like they can't, it's hard to even get your head around that. Like how young they do most of their producing. But that's why you have to get them in your rookie draft. And then working backwards, knowing I'm going to be using my rookie draft picks on running backs. I sure as hell better get my wide receivers in the startup draft. And that's one of the things last offseason I looked at. I wanted not so much age, but I was looking at years of experience to see when kind of the top 12 fantasy years were for each position. And quarterbacks and tight ends, you know, they can do it 10, 12 years into the league because we have these exceptions all over the place. You guys know all the names. Running back, 
we see 12%, 16%, 21% in the first three years. Then it starts dropping off. Receiver, we all kind of know about that like third year jump. And that's true. 17% of, you know, top 12 guys year three. But year five and year six are just as good, man. We see receivers last longer in the NFL. It's just a fact. Oh, it, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. And, and you got to be careful drafting post apex running backs. Those yeah. that drafted Zeke or Dalvin cook Oof. in their, in their startup are getting vaporized. Yeah. They're good. getting vaporized. So I was in a startup draft with Ryan McDowell from DLF Love Ryan. and it wasn't a coincidence that in that draft, he and I were the first ones to draft rookies. Yeah. We were drafting rookie running backs, having no experience, right? DeAndre Swift had zero carries in his career. Jonathan Taylor, zero carries in his career. But here, he and I are, are pushing the button on these rookie running backs <laughs> because we know that the clock is ticking, bro. Yeah. Everyone, you can get all that and more in the Dynasty Dominator Reloaded, building super teams for 2022 and beyond. By I can't believe this. I did not, not think Kelly. we were going to be promoting this book on this show. That is awesome. <laughs> Hey, that man. is awesome. Great day to be great. You know that. And that is going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, go find Matt over at Player Profiler and on the Player Profiler Fantasy Football Podcast Network. If you guys haven't been to Player Profiler, truly one of the best resources out there. I love everything we do at PFF, but just in terms of giving a great snapshot of a player, you get a player comp, you get their athletic scores, you get their efficiency, you get their usage. It's a one-stop shop for basically everything you could want to know about a fantasy guy. Redraft, DFS, uh, Dynasty. You guys cover it all and do a great job with it. Love Nate, love Ryan, love all the crew you guys consistently have over there. Matt, great stuff as always, man. Anything else you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? I don't. You, you, <laughs> I, I was gonna, I was gonna say, hey, I got this Dynasty Dominator book, but you teed me up so well. You're, I, you know what? I do want to say something. So, you're really an impressive dude. Oh, thanks, man. No, I, I'm talking about a, a Renaissance man, podcast host. You're one of the best Twitter personalities in all of fantasy. You're one of the best podcast hosts in all of fantasy. And when I see the kind of energy that you bring to just the, the overall delivery and presentation of what you do over the last couple of years, you're on this like growth trajectory as an analyst that I think that, you know, if not number one, I, I can't Ooh. think of, I, you'd be the guy. Like if someone said, Hey, who's the guy that's like broken out all over the place? Like it's like the Justin Jefferson <laughs> Dynasty of fantasy, fantasy analysts. <laughs> no, no, no. I would say Ian Hardis. I, I, that, that's thank it, you, man. That means a that, lot. That's not, I'm not, I'm not pandering. Uh, I'm just, that's a, that's a fact. Hey man, you're the first one to ever bring me on a quote unquote mainstream podcast a good four or five years ago. So might just, uh, might just owe that to you. So Matt, Dude, thank you're you. Stud. You're fucking stud. <laughs> thank you again for the kind words. Thank you for the time. And I hope all you listeners out there enjoyed this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. For Matt, I'm Ian. Until next time, take care, everybody.